Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, my extended conversation with the CEO of Hilton, Chris Nacetta. We'll touch on everything from changes in traveler behavior to housekeeping, from hotel room rates to room design. We'll talk about technology and how it can suppress or in some cases replace the conversation. We'll talk about room lighting. That's one of my pet peeves. And then I'll ask Nacetta to take off his CEO hat and put on his guest hat and tell me what he hates about his own hotels. We sat down at the Waldorf Astoria in Washington, D.C. That's the former Trump Hotel. And Waldorf Astoria is, coincidentally, one of the brands of the more than 7,165 hotels in the Hilton portfolio. That breaks down to 19 brands in 123 countries. Oh yeah, one more thing. That number is rising even as you hear this. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, You'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Mr. Chris Nacetta, welcome. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. This is my hometown, born and raised in Washington, D.C. and the in this, in this surrounds. I'm glad I caught you here then. Yeah, it's not often I'm here. Last time I saw you, we were in Riyadh, I think. We were in Saudi Arabia. Yes. That's correct. So let's try to get an overview of where we've been for the last two and a half years. Coming out of the pandemic, you and I actually did an interview for CBS News 
at the beginning. Yeah, uh, you were in the back of a van, as I recall. I, no, that was a separate interview. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the interview we did. We're not going to talk about what you were doing no, on, on public radio. but No, but it was it was CBS Sunday morning when we just... Oh, we did, yeah, at the very beginning. It was you and Oscar Munoz from United. Yes, of course. Talking about you know how you were trying to adapt to this brave new world that nobody knew how to adapt to. Yeah. What were the lessons that came out of that for you? Listen, I think the first lesson, and you'll recall you, you're a big travel tourism advocate, and you have been, and we, we appreciate that. You give us a great voice as an industry and help people understand how big and impactful we are in terms of economic growth and jobs and the like. But you recall uh, in that interview and in, in those earlier days, let's say in the first and second quarter of 2020, people thought travel was you know dead. Like the, that because of COVID, obviously in the short term, people believed that it was going to be impactful. But I think people were really starting to believe that everything was going to be different, that people were never going to really want to travel for leisure the same way, that business travel was dead and gone because Zoom was here, meetings and events, people wouldn't feel comfortable, um, you know, congregating in that kind of format. And so it's sort of you asked me what what the lesson is, you know, the lesson in life is never try and project off the top or the bottom during a crisis. And so many people were projecting off the bottom of the crisis. I somewhat famously in that interview and 50 others, because I was a bit of a poster child having done this for 40 years and, you know, as impacted as our industry was, I said many, many times on every network, of course, none more important than CBS, that the the sucking up can stop the sucking up. Can stop okay. that. That when we get through this, um, things will look a lot more like they did than they do. And in fact, my argument was that the, the, there's a high likelihood that people will have a burning desire to travel more. That this is going to reinforce a mega trend that had been going on pre-COVID, which is people spending more of their uh, disposable income on experiences versus things. And so, listen, you didn't roll your eyes at me, but a lot of people did. I, I mean, I got a lot of chuckles. A lot of you know. A lot of folks that were uh, skeptical of that. If you fast forward to today, that's sort of where we, not to say patting my, I'm not trying to pat myself on my on the back and say I'm right, but but ultimately I think I am being proven right. And so the lesson, the lesson I think, you know, in leadership is, you know, to have, you know, to sort of have a steady approach. Don't project off bottoms. Don't project off tops. Keep a steady hand on the wheel. Make sure you have a a plan and a strategy to deal with a crisis because there were serious issues that we all had to deal with in the business. But as part of that, also make sure that you're sort of looking down the road and preparing for recovery. I think the greatest mistake I've seen people make, not just in COVID, although I did see it made during COVID, but in every crisis that I've been um, managing through for the 40 years of my career is that you get mired in, you know, in what's going on in the moment. And in the beginning you have to, but you lose sight of what the opportunities might be on the other side. And you're not in a good position when you do get to the other side. So I think the, the lessons are, you know, that, you know, that travel is a, a unstoppable force for good people. Humanity wants it. They, they want it more now. And, you know, keeping sort of a steady approach to how you manage your way through a crisis, I think, pays great dividends in the long run. I was noticing a redefinition, if you will, of traveler behavior, meaning that during the pandemic, people had a chance to save some money, People then wanted to get out of the gate as soon as they could and travel. They weren't necessarily price sensitive. They were traveling at any cost. I think you, the, you and the rest of the hotel industry are recipients of very high, high rates in the rooms. Indeed we are. Uh, but something else happened. 
they made a decision, and I call it the Last Supper mentality, uh, where they don't want to buy material goods, they don't want to buy new jewelry or clothing or cars or electronic items, they want experiences. And, and I look at the metric of the, of the shippers. So I'm checking in with UPS and FedEx in July, August, and September of last year, and what am I seeing? They're closing stores, they're parking planes. When was the last time you heard of FedEx parking planes in October and November before Christmas? I could see it coming. Yep. And sure enough, consumer spending dropped during Christmas. Yep. And, and Well, who didn't see? I'm not going to pick, but if you think about yeah. what was going on in the world of tech, um, what you see today and all the layoffs going in, going on in tech and retail, yeah, I, I think you know a bunch of industries sort of reformatted their strategy in a world where they thought you know COVID, the, the COVID norm was going to be the new norm. And the reality is they were wrong. To my earlier point, um, before COVID, we had a very significant trend towards disposable income being spent on experiences versus things. During COVID, it completely reversed itself because it had to. And post-COVID, because of what you're suggesting, people had not just money in their pocket. And by the way, the governments around the world gave them money. They had savings. They got given money by governments. But it was, it was much deeper and, uh, uh, and different psychology. They had PTSD, if you will, having been locked away, not being able to see places, see family, have those experiences. And so the trend before was powerful. It just became much more powerful on the other side. The other thing that's going on that um, I talk about a lot with our team is uh, greater mobility. So part of this, is, you know, we talk a lot about leisure, you know, the, the blending of business and leisure travel, which is a real thing. Um, you know, but what that is being driven by to a degree is enhanced mobility. What does that mean? People have more time. They have more flexibility. The traditional office environment, while it's trended back more towards what it was, a little it's, bit. Yeah. It's, not, it's not what it was, and it probably never will be again. The other thing that's happening as a result is that, is that office environments are being reimagined um, and, that, and, and, and reduced in a way where people then have more of a need to visit home offices, to, you know, train, you know, do training seminars, innovation um, sessions in different ways. All of those things mean that people are more mobile, right? So they got to be, they're moving around more. If you look at, you know, time and eternity in our industry, and you've been around, you and I have been doing this a long time. Mobility has been the most powerful force, both enabling, you know, the, the enablement of mobility, okay, and, 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 and creating more demand for travel and tourism. That's been in the form over the years of transportation, you know, tr high-speed rail, low-cost airlines, hotel infrastructure, segmentation, different price points, the rent-a-car, all these, you know, technological innovations that connected the world. Now you have this next phase in mobility that is a reimagining of how people work to a degree that is giving them the flexibility to be able to be mobile in a world where their technology does allow them to sort of work from anywhere and, and thus ultimately, I think, creates a significant enhancement and demand in our, in our business. An unplanned intersection. An unplanned intersection. Wow. You know, I go back, you talk about 
what happened during the pandemic. I go back before that to another crisis, the 2008-2009 economic debacle. And I remember walking into one of your hotels. It's not there anymore. It was the old Hilton in Paris. Yeah. And I walked in. Eiffel and, Tower. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I walked in. I and the well. entire lot, the place was oversold with Americans. People were crammed in the lobbies. They could And I'm like, did you not hear about the economic uh, debacle? Could you tell me why you're here? And they said, well, we, yeah, we knew about it. Well, why are you here? We figured if we didn't come now, we'd never go. Yeah. So that's the last. That and we're that's on. what we're, we're start, just in the early days of seeing that uh, tailwind, which is pent up demand for people wanting to, you know, now that borders are broadly open and some of the last borders, which would be in Asia and China, are starting to open, open. People want to have those experiences in that cultural exchange. And that will be a huge tailwind of demand for, I think, uh, a number of years. You know, we were talking before about the, the changing dynamic of, of traveler behavior, expectations and demands. Uh, one of the things I remember so well, uh, talking to you and some of your counterparts prior to the pandemic, was there was a time not that long ago when you were opening up one new, one new hotel like every 24 hours. Are you still doing that? We're still doing that. Last year we opened just under one hotel a day. This year I think we will open up more uh, significantly more than a hotel a day somewhere in the world okay. so we're still doing it we never really stopped growing during the pandemic even though travel stopped for a period of time com you know almost completely um, the momentum that we had in in a 400,000 plus room pipeline in every region of the world kept moving what was the region that was moving faster than anywhere else what where what region was yeah. moving in, in the beginning it was probably growth rate asia pacific right um that slowed you know as a result of you know what happened in china over the last year but ex expectation is that's going to pick up meaningfully particularly in the second half of this year so by number by number of hotels it's still the united it's still the united states because we have such a big installed base but by percentage growth rates asia pacific is definitely the fastest growing. When you talk about the united and states, i think it yeah. will be for decades and decades and decades it's just you look at the population you look at most of the companies including ours we have big a big presence in that region of the world but relative to the pop billions of people in the population in that part of the world we're all early days certainly at hilton we're early days and so many of those hotels are not really being opened for me they're being opened for them correct yeah they are. I mean, most, it's funny, when I got, I, I came to Hilton 15 going on 16 years ago, we had five hotels in China, and the business was 90% inbound international business, Western business. Fast forward today, open or in the pipeline, we have over a thousand oh hotels, and it's almost the inverse, okay? China's, a, the data right now is a little garbled given right. the transition off of zero COVID to to uh, join the rest of the world, but it's almost the flip, which is 90% domestic, 10% international inbound business. Um, and that, and that's not to do with COVID. That's just, they're building out the, the, the travel and tourism infrastructure. Not to mention their air routes. Correct. But now let's talk about this country and air routes because we're seeing airlines stopping service to so many cities, secondary and tertiary cities, 
Toledo, Eureka, California, Dubuque, Iowa, Islip, New York. I mean, I can go on to 37 separate cities that either have seriously diminished air service or no air service at all. And that's a problem. I mean, what's what's interesting that's happened, and you, you know this, but made it, many of your audience in your audience wouldn't know it, is pre-COVID, if you look at our business, like two-thirds of our business in the U.S., we have 5,000 plus or minus hotels in the U.S., two-thirds of the business was fly-to, one-third was drive-to. If you look at like the fourth quarter of last year, it's inverted. Two-thirds of it is drive-to, one-third is fly-to. Part of that is that people are traveling differently. They're traveling shorter distances and they're driving. Um, some of that is just by choice. It came out of COVID. Some of it is because it is, you know, air travel is so difficult. You know, the, the waits, the cancellations and the like. Um, so it's really important um, that as a country and as an industry, we sort of get back on the horse, if you will. I, I'm the incoming chair for U.S. Travel um, we held a press conference here very recently, and we were talking about this. I mean, there are a lot of issues for inbound international travel um, related to wait times um, for we're visas. About visa, uh, yeah, visa, visa wait, wait times. times, but also the, the issues with the FAA and the outages that we've had and, and modernization of the FAA infrastructure so that we can start to ease some of the uh, pain in the system. But now, part of the pain is being eased by you know, by virtue of what the airlines are doing, like all of us in this, in the travel and tourism industry, it's been hard to get people. And so now we're getting the people, they're getting the people, they're getting the pilots, they're getting the flight attendants, they're getting, are the, you getting the people the, and we are too, but you got to train them. And so we're in this mode of like bringing a lot of people on and having to get them trained. So it, it is important that the that the the air transport system in the country and around the world gets more efficient. I think part of that is time and investment by the airlines, which they are doing. Part of it is investment um, into the infrastructure from a governmental point of view. We talked about Toledo just briefly, but if American United and Delta no longer serve Toledo, uh, and the only airline that does goes on goes in once a week from like Myrtle Beach, that's not helping your hotel in Toledo. That's not helping our no. Then everybody's driving, and it becomes a, a regional hub, which is not not ideal. And so, in the end, I think you know the, the cities will be served if they have the demand. As you know, the airline industry stabilizes. Toledo will have demand. Columbus will have demand. Cleveland, you know, there'll be a lot of secondary markets, but large cities around the country that haven't had as much service. That I think will will get that service back. Because I'm thinking, if you if you have a business in Toledo and your customers can't get to you, it's you're a at a competitive disadvantage. It's a problem. Right now, people are driving and they're driving longer distances, so they are they are getting to you. But um, over time, that's not what, how we want it to happen. You, it can't be sustained. It's not sustainable. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The jobs reports have been coming out. They've been very good for the United States in terms of unemployment and number of jobs filled. Uh, but the hospitality section, restaurants, in that entire sphere, it's been a continuing problem. How have you fixed it, or how are you going about fixing it? Yeah, it, the, the problem has eased. On a scale of 1 to 10, a year ago it was a 10, and right now I'd say you know, it's probably a 4 or a 5. So we are finding people. People are migrating back from industries that were COVID darlings. Can you answer one question? Yeah. Where did they go? They Well, some of them stayed home and some of them went into retail and other industries that were surging during COVID. And so some of those are migrating back and other people are realizing, you know, the, the benefits of being in travel and tourism, which are not insignificant. And so we are attracting great talent now. I wouldn't say we're back to where we were, but we're getting closer um, and, and now, as I was saying, same with the airlines, you know, there's a component of other people have less experience. And so we're going through a training process. The other thing that we're doing is just trying to get smarter in how we access, you know, different pools of talent, people, you know, gig workers, you know, there are a lot of people that want to work, but they don't want to work in a traditional way. They don't want to work a 40 hour week. They want to work two shifts a week. And so we've gotten very, we've always had seasonal help in various locations. We hadn't really programmatically figured out how to crack the code and do it with the use of technology more broadly. And we are, so we are getting thousands and thousands of people that are working, you know, in a, in a little bit different way in our system and, and enjoying it. So I think we're on the road to recovery on, on the labor side, for sure. Have you gotten your arms around housekeeping? Yes, but it's still the biggest challenge area in the, in the industry, meaning those, are the hard, those have been the hardest jobs to fill, and those will continue to be the hardest jobs to fill. But we are broadly finding the people and figuring out how to better, best serve our customers and what they really want. One of the things that we did during COVID, partly as it relates to, you know, the issues of health and hygiene and people's desire not to have, you know, a housekeeper or anybody in their room when they were, when they were there, we went to an opt-in model where if you want housekeeping daily, if you're there, you, just on, ask, for it. you, you ask for it, you can go on the app and, and, and do it quite efficiently now. Um, but they giving the customer the option. You, if I, you find out that, you know, a lot of people do want daily housekeeping on, uh, on overnight stays uh, for multiple days, but a lot of people don't. Not, you know, that it's totally unrelated to COVID. They just, they just don't. And so that's taken some pressure off, but it really that's been more about choice and control. You know, in the end, you know, we serve customers. And, and my, my belief is always that giving customers more choice and control and control in an, in an ability to efficiently customize their experience to meet their needs is the best way to go. And ultimately it keeps people happy, keeps them coming back and allow, you know, and, and, and that's what we're here to do is deliver great experiences. The one thing you got rid of during COVID, which I want to thank you for, although it's starting <laughs> to sneak back in, Chris, is all the paper products on the table and the desks and it hasn't it hasn't been sneaking in our hotels. We're not bringing that back. Good. We we're not bringing all of that back. And the other thing that we've done with amenities like bathroom amenities, it's not 100% rolled out, but it will be certainly by the end of this year. 
bulk amenities that are scaled depending on the price point, but all very high quality. Um, you know, it's, it's more friendly from the environmental point of view. Um, and it, it's a heck of a lot more efficient. And honestly, the, you know, the products are better and it's a lot less clutter and easier to use. And of course, you know, for me, you know, I, I always wanted the housekeeping, right? But I go, to, I go to some hotels and they say, oh, we only come once every four days. We'll I'm give staying, you, too. We'll, we'll give you housekeeping. When you come, you just stay with Hilton. <laughs> just for me? Peter, Peter, no, just for everybody. We love all our customers. You stay with Hilton. You can get housekeeping every night if you want. Is that your mission statement? That's, that's, that's my checking. commitment to you all right. and every other customer. Thank you. I, I feel special now. Yeah. Let's cut back to the, the visa wait times because I'm looking at some of those numbers. And this is putting America at a competitive disadvantage where people in certain countries have to wait over a year to even get an appointment to get a visa. Yeah, it, it's insane. Yeah, there are, there are some countries that are up to six to 800 days of wait time. Now, the reality is you can understand why this was deprioritized during COVID because we closed our borders. And so, right. you know, you built a new muscle memory from the standpoint of how the government's operating. They weren't worried about how many people can we get here and how many how much economic activity and how many jobs they were worried about safety and security, the health in a global pandemic. So we, you know, we just have to get back on the horse. I've said that a couple of we have to we have to go back to what we had done before. If you go back to the Obama administration, I was deeply in the middle of, in the early years of Obama, the same issue, by the way, same kind of description. You had many markets, whether it was Brazil, India, that were, you know, three, four, China, 500-day wait times. We were talking about these ridiculously long wait times for foreigners to come to the United States, which is a big source of revenue for this country. Yeah, we, we had the same set of issues in the early days of the Obama administration. To their credit, they had an intense focus on getting it down to 21 days or less and they did it we just have to do the same thing and so we're starting that dialogue um, I recently was part of a press conference as I mentioned I'm stepping in as chair of U.S. travel um, and the CEO and I had a bunch of the press here to start to bring visibility to the issue we're obviously working with the administration and now's the time as I said it, it it hasn't been a focus and that's that's not anybody's fault it's because of the circumstances of a pandemic but now's time if we want to continue need to drive international tourism, drive economic growth, um, drive jobs growth, and importantly, drive exports, which travel and tourism is, you know, inbound international travel is one of the great surplus uh, surpluses we can drive for export. It's time to it's time to tackle this issue. Well, isn't it ironic, and this, by the way, certainly predates the pandemic, that we're the only developed country that I know that does not have a cabinet level minister of tourism. But we're we're going to we're doing something about that. And not, what, what are we doing? We're within the Department of Commerce. There's going to be somebody not cabinet level, but one step below, as I understand. Well, it. you just said the three magic words: one step below. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, we got to start somewhere. We've been working hard to, just to get this. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you to take your CEO hat off for a second and put your guest hat on. When you check into a hotel, what's the one thing you hate? Uh, waiting. I'm waiting. 
No, waiting. I hate <laughs> I know, waiting. I, I hate waiting. <laughs> I was having fun with that. So, that. so the way I get around that is I use our digital key, which is in every hotel we have in the world. I can select my room, get my key, do what I need to do. Because most of the time when I get into hotels, by the way, I get very good treatment, as you would guess. It's very rare. I'm shocked. It's very rare that I can sneak in. But most of the time, I'm getting in very late, like you, probably. I'm traveling for business. I could be flying in. I'm exhausted. I may want to have a little bite to eat and go do 100 emails, get a bed. So... You know, I but I get great treatment. But the the one thing that I think none of us want is the way you want you want you want what you want when you want it. And so that's I think one of the great things that's happening. Certainly at Hilton, and I you know maybe some others, but in the industry is really driving more technological innovation that gives you control of your whole experience in the palm of your hand, just like a lot of other aspects of your life. So the the things that that might drive you crazy won't because we're going to allow you to customize it and manage it in a frictionless way but to be devil's advocate on this what gets lost in that sometimes is the art of the conversation correct but we'll always there's always going to be somebody for peter greenberg who likes talking a lot to people <laughs> Stop at, at the front at the front <laughs> desk there's always going to be no, but somebody. you know what i'm saying no but what the idea of the of technology is listen we're a business of people serving people we always i say this to our team all the time we always will be the idea is to take some of the more routinized things um, that can be done really well digitally so that you free up the people to curate so that when you have a real issue, you're not dealing, you know, with your phone and dealing with us digitally, you're dealing with a human, but all of the things that can be really simply done in a digital context um, are done that way so that people have more time to curate better experiences. Now you've now checked into the room. What's the one thing you want changed? Uh, well, we do a really good job, so I, I don't have a lot of, but I mean, the thing is, here's what customers, here's really what they yeah. want. They don't want a lot of clutter. They want the room to be clean. They want a really comfortable bed. They want great pillows that maybe at, that where they have options. Lighting. They want adequate lighting. Yeah, can we lighting. talk about lighting for a second? I'm going to keep going. They want adequate lighting. <laughs> they want adequate lighting in the room. They want adequate lighting in the bathroom. They, don't, they want enough room to put their things down in the bathroom. They want hot water. They want pressure. Um, uh, they want to be able to turn the water I'm on. With, they house. want to be able to turn the water on without getting you know, cold, cold water in their face. Let's start with lighting. And they want, but by the way, they want a lot of- I got to go back to lighting. They want a lot of other things, but if, you know, those basic things and at different price points, you know, they're brought to life a little bit differently. If you get all of those things right, okay, you're a long way. You do it really reliably all the time. Great sheets, great beds, great pillows. By the way, I shouldn't forget TVs. Great, you know, great TVs. With yeah. remote controls that you can understand? With remote control or your own phone, you know, you okay. can drive the, the remote on your own with the use of your own phone. Great lighting, great hot water, great pressure. Can I talk to you about lighting again? Yeah, you can. <laughs> a lot of hotels don't have enough lighting. We've right. been really working hard at that. I mean, any hotel that gives me nothing but mood lighting puts me in a very bad mood. <laughs> Me too. Good. I agree. And we're working very hard on that. See, I had to talk about lighting. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I think you're right. I think you come into a lot of hotel rooms and you have to walk around and turn like 20 lights on to be able to see what you're doing. We don't want it to be that complicated. Exactly. And the last thing I thought about is hotel designers that put really lovely marble floors on the bathrooms that you're going to slip and break your skull. 
Yeah, that I don't think a lot of marble is being used these days. There's a lot of other materials. So we do use some marbles, yeah. but there's marble a, on the sinks. You got yeah, no. the, and there is a way to finish marble where you really aren't going to slip, which you know, we think we can do. So I I agree. I don't like slippery. Uh, surfaces. Well, this either. proves only one thing. I'm checking into my next hotel with you. You got to. Absolutely. I assume you already do. <laughs> you have a very personal history with this hotel. I do. This hotel, I've been working on one way or another since the early 1980s. My first job out of business school, I was hired to be the assistant project manager of the Willard Hotel uh, and office building complex renovation, which was done by PADC right down the block. By the um, way, that's where the word lobbying came. That in. is where the word, the you know, that is where the word lobbying was was invented. And I was a young guy, and I was you know walking the streets of Pennsylvania Avenue and all of Washington. I worked for Oliver Carr for many years. I ended up running the development group, and so DC was you know my family was a Washington DC based development. My father and uncle were developers in the area. So I was sort of like that. This is all I did. And I would, I would walk every block, look at every building. And this building went through lots of different states of evolution. It wasn't just the post office. It was, you know, built that way and, and acted in that capacity, but it was a retail center. They, the GSA tried to figure out a bunch of different uses, office, retail, and none of them really worked. And back in 1971, they tried to demolish it. They tried to demolish it. So you know, fast forward a bunch of years, we, we had, I had, I had driven by it a thousand times, always thought it was one of the most beautiful buildings. By the way, if you drive down the GW Parkway from the Virginia side, which I do all the time going to the you airport, see the clock tower. you see the clock tower and the Washington Monument. I mean, this is one of the most iconic buildings and towers on earth. And every time I would drive down the parkway, which is daily for the most part, I would look at it and say someday, like this is the building. This would be the perfect place for a Waldorf Astoria in Washington. This is my hometown. I was born and raised here. We've always, I've always believed we need to have our a Waldorf Astoria representation in this, in this market. And this was the building. So it comes up for bid. It's going to be a hotel. Finally, the GSA decides that, you know, this is, this is the right path. Obviously I think they were right. And I went down, my team is making the pitch with a partner and they say, do you want to make the pitch with us? I said, you know, and we, you know, we're opening, as I said, more than a hotel. I can't make every pitch. I said, this is my hometown. I've been gazing you at went, this building. Went I went to make the pitch. I went right after Ivanka Trump made the pitch. Um, she obviously won. We lost um, for a whole, for a whole bunch of reasons. So I was, I was very saddened that my dream would not come true. And of course, you know, they ended up redeveloping it uh, to, to what it has become. But it always was sort of front and center for me that at some point, if something were to happen, if it were to become available, I still thought it was the best place on earth in Washington, D.C. to have a Waldorf Astoria. And surprise, surprise, and surprise, it became available. And surprise, surprise, it became available. We worked very hard with a partner of ours for a very extended period of time. And here we are today in the Waldorf Astoria, Washington, D.C. I mean, at the time you were bidding, you were not the only bidder, right? It wasn't we were just, not. It wasn't just Donald Trump. It was your competitors at Marriott. It was. And everybody. Everybody. Hyatt. And Intercon everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted it. None of us got it. Uh, the Trump family won it. They did a they did a marvelous job with it physically. It's it's beautiful. Um, and we we 
just wanted to make sure that it became a Waldorf Astoria, which we were able to accomplish ultimately. So good things come to those who wait. Good things, yes. Yeah. So it only took me from 1984, I don't know, call it plus or minus 40 years of you know patience and diligence. As I said, you got to keep a steady hand on the wheel. Did you get a good deal? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think it'll work out great for everybody. And if you walk in this hotel... The, the renovation and restoration work that they did as a historic building, you got to give the Trumps credit. you got to give them credit. By the way, for those that haven't been in this building, come see this building. I think it is one of the most unique uh, hotels and pieces of real estate in America today. I mean, you could feel like you're in old Europe in Paris or London. There's just not buildings like this. You know, if you look at the steelwork inside the lobby, it's extraordinary. You feel like you're in an old European train station. You do. You, it is extraordinary in a way. Like there are very few hotels in the world that have the character that this, you know, wide hallways, very high ceilings, just volumes of space. Nobody can afford to build those things in the today's world. So, it's really unique. We're, we're very excited to be part of it. And are you educating the GSA as to what a hotel means to them? Yes, we are. We're doing great. By the way, it's off to a roaring start. You know, we're, we're, we're already at or above our expectations and how, how it would perform. So, we're so doing your mission great. is done now? No, it's never done. Now we just <laughs> got to keep tweaking it. We're, we've just opened uh, with Jose Andres, a spectacular new restaurant, Bazaar, bringing that to Washington, D.C. Jose is an iconic restaurateur, an artist, um, uh, at, you know, th that is very well known in D.C. So we're bringing huge amount of life and energy into this building on top of what is an iconic architectural statement. And by the way, if you get a chance to go up to the clock tower, which I have, um, and hopefully not, I on have. A not a, hopefully not on a windy day, but if you do... <laughs> Uh, the best views of the whole city. It's extraordinary. As I say, I think the best view of this hotel, drive down the GW Parkway, which if you haven't done, is one of the most beautiful drives on earth. To drive down from Roslyn to Mount Vernon, it is an extraordinary drive. But driving down the Potomac River, you see all of the monuments. Um, and this is one of the monuments. It's not technically, but it, it shows up right along with the Washington And it's monument. the second tallest building in Washington. in Washington, second tallest only to the Washington Monument. Yeah, exactly. I mean, were you surprised that you've been able to do this as a hotel? No. I mean, as I said, I kept it in my sights for a long time, <laughs> and I'm a very patient, diligent person. It took, it took a lot longer than I'd like. But by the way, it's not the only luxury. Luxury is, is hard. It takes, you know, buildings like this only get built so often. So if you think about like the Waldorf Astoria in Beverly Hills, that took 15 years of a lot of people's lives, including mine, to, you know, from the first, you know, idea to getting it done. Waldorf Astoria, Monarch Beach, you know, in, in Southern California on the beach, probably 20 years of effort and diligence and patience to find the right, you know, sort of setup to make that happen. Waldorf Astoria, Amsterdam, you know, took centuries you know the buildings there are old old townhouses that you know that you know that we pulled together and left the you know, left intact but built a hotel within them so that, that was centuries in the making i wasn't around for the beginning of that but you know these these really iconic luxury hotels take lots of time and patience and diligence but when you get it done 
walk around this hotel or walk around Amsterdam or walk around Beverly Hills. It's, it's worth it. I mean, they're really special places. My thanks to Chris Nacetta and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just put out the Do Not Disturb sign and then log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, but after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segee, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.